All right. Welcome to the AdaptX podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building inclusive and accessible businesses or products, advocating for inclusion or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather amplify their voice, ideas, and learn strategies to make our businesses more accessible. Today, we're joined by Zachary Josie, a triathlete from Utah who is out in Massachusetts visiting our facility after completing Ironman Main 70.3 over the weekend. We're excited to have him here to recap his race, where he became the first athlete with dwarfism to complete the 70.3 distance in under five hours. Zach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, maybe we can go back to the beginning. So how did you get into triathlon? I uh, when, when I got to college, I was starting to put on a little weight, just wanted to get active and and uh, I had a brother that ran a lot and uh, just kind of started running with him. And I, I took like a college course spin class on their spin bikes there and just kind of fell in love with endurance sports just from those two little things. How long ago was that? That was oof, about 15 years ago, probably 15 or 16 years ago. How long between that first like introduction to the sport and your first race was it? Uh, probably about four years i just slowly just i fell more in love with running after after college when i moved back to salt lake and i would say about four years into running i, I did the, my first 5k and just started racing more and more after that what um what kind of encouraged you to switch from exclusively running to triathlon i I would always think back to how much I liked that spin class. And so after a while, started kind of running alone, wore on me a little bit. So I started to go back and doing some spin classes just locally at my in my hometown. And uh really enjoyed that. And then my parents moved to a different city. And I met a guy who did triathlon in that city. And I was just always amazed by him. He was... I couldn't even fathom uh, swimming because I, I never learned how to swim properly. So, and then like the distances were always just like, I, and I just thought to myself, like, I wonder if I could do that. And, yeah. yeah. I think swimming is definitely the barrier to entry for me. Yeah. Uh, it's just not something that I'm competent in in any way. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's scary to get in there in the open water too, especially if you never really, if you're not used to it. So, yeah, I was, uh, we belonged to a country club a couple of years ago and they have a lap pool and I just like getting lapped by these old women. Like, and I just didn't get down to breathing Yeah, uh, for whatever reason. Like I used to swim when I was younger. And so I thought I'd be able to pick it right back up. But something about the, the technique of breathing is actually like harder than I anticipated. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I, I, you can watch all the YouTube videos you want to, and it's, I had to go to a coach for like I, I'm gonna have to get a six months to a year to, and he just really drilled in the breathing and yeah. the, yeah, sitting in the kitchen and with my face and like a lot all time about how to get the pattern of it down. But uh one day I'll one day I'll venture into it. What was your uh what was your first half Iron Man like? My first half half Iron Man was at the time I didn't even realize it. Like I didn't realize how big Iron Man was like globally. And I just knew that like, okay, this half Iron Man is in my hometown of St- or in my home state of St. George. And I didn't realize at the time that that's renowned as one of the hardest yeah. half Ironmans on the yeah. on the scene. And so I was just like, all right, it's in St. George. I I live pretty close. I went to school down there, so I I know the area and signed up for it. And my my friend who got me into to racing, he just he kind of like guided me, mentored me along the way. And 
did some training rides for it. And anyway, the, the day was, the day was crazy. It was, it was, uh, I mean, there's like 3,500 feet of climbing on the bike. And then the, the old run, the old course, the run was, there's like a thousand plus feet of climbing. So, I mean, that's a decent run too. So it was, it was a brutal day. It was hot. It was like 95 degrees. Yeah. So when Kona was canceled, they had the world championships at St. George, right? Yeah. The and that, and then, so that, that course was just double the first 70.3 I did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, and that was my first full Ironman. That Do you was, remember how long it took you to finish? It was like 1445 or something like that. 1450 okay. ish. Okay. Nice. So yeah, it was yeah. a long day. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> and my first, my first half, I finished in six hours and 12 minutes. Okay. So. So about an hour and a half improvement recently. Yeah. Um, were there any barriers like physically or any things that you felt like prevented you from participating equally in triathlon? Definitely. The um, the biggest one and the one I'm probably most like vocal about uh, is the, the bike. I didn't realize, to be honest, how having Els Van Creveld and, and dwarfism, my, my specific form is called Els Van Krevel. I didn't realize how much differently I was shaped because I'm not, for dwarfism, I'm actually somewhat tall. So I, I just, I never thought, like, I knew a lot of women that were my, close to my size that rode bikes fine. And so I didn't realize that because my legs were so short compared to my torso, that the bike was going to be so difficult. And I got a bike that was like the smallest one on the market. And I was set up in a position where it just, it hurt. It hurt to ride. Like sitting on the seat, I would swivel from side to side and like it would cause a lot of pain. And then like my shoulders would hurt by the time I got off the bike and my knees would hurt. And I just, I had no, I just thought that was like normal. Yeah. Did you go to a bike fitting? Yeah. So after, after my first or second race, I went to a bike fitter finally. And he, I told him what what i had and stuff and when i got in there he just kind of started taking my measurements and by the noises he was making i realized like okay there's something like <laughs> there's something. some way off that and he knew exactly as soon as he started taking measurements he goes he goes your saddle's too high your cranks are way too long your your reach is too short on the handlebars you need to go out like way further because your torso is so long yeah and he he had to keep my bike for like a week to see make yeah make the, the modifications to the best that he could we got back on that bike and it still was pretty tough was pretty off okay. yeah it was it was better but it just it was just not do you feel good on it now yeah so now i got i actually had to go through a process where i decided i wanted to do a full iron man but i knew that the current bike i had wasn't going to it wasn't going to work i wasn't going to be able to I could fight through the pain and for 56 miles, but I knew that after anything after that, I was going to, so, so in 2020, when racing was off, I kind of, I just, I started emailing every single bike company. Like I, I think that I counted 38 different bike companies from all around the world, just emailing them, telling them what I needed, what would be ideal, what my bike fitter wanted me to get on. And I don't know how I came across this article, but there's a, there's an article or there's a, there's a magazine called bike rumors. 
And somehow that there was an article about a company from the Netherlands called Koo Cycles. And it was like pushed to me somehow, or someone either sent it to me, or it might have even been my bike fitter who sent it to me. He's like, read this, see what you think. And I started reading it and they don't call themselves custom bikes, but they call them they call it like made to fit bikes. So I just emailed them. They were pretty new a startup in Netherlands and I emailed the CEO just by chance, like the first email I saw on there. And I said, Hey, this is my situation. This is what I need. What do you think? And he sent me a really nice email back that just said, Hey, he said, give me a little while to sit on this. We don't, we're not doing business in the U S right now, but he's like, let me run this past my team and we'll get back to you. And I kind of thought that would be the last I'd ever yeah. heard from him. I just like, all right, I'll just wait. Yeah. And a few months later, he emailed me again. He's like, hey, I think we're ready for you. He's like, this is, he's like, I've looped in my my partner, Richard, who was the technical designer. And he's like, I think we can find something. We can find a way to make a, one of our bikes work to these measurements you need. He's like, so I need you to go back into your bike fitter and have him be exactly like, this is exactly what you have to have. Yeah. Because cause they make them, what they do is they take your exact fit and then they manufacture the bike to piece together so it fits exactly how you need it. And they had to make a few modifications on the saddle so we could get that a little lower. But other than that, it's it's perfect. They they sent it out. It was like a, it was about a ten week process where they like took my measurements and then they would order the parts, have them put together, and then send it back to get painted and built and then ship it out to me from the Netherlands. So cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Was there, uh, was there any issue with like doing it all remotely or is the process pretty seamless? I, it was, it, it's actually very seamless. I, I know they prefer you to go, they hire their own bike fitters. And so you have to fill out this, like if you're a bike fitter, you fill out an application, they go over it and then they hire you as one of their bike fitters. But because I was the first one in the U.S. to reach out to them, they just kind of had to wing it from my bike fitter and just hope that hoped that it worked out. And it really was, I mean, I worried a lot and everything, it came and it was like the saddle was like an inch shorter than my current bike. And then, and then like the reach, the handlebars reached out like way further than my current bike and it. I mean, I have a I have a lot of pictures on my social media of like what I used to look like on the bike compared to now, and it's it's like nine day. Yeah, that's funny. Um, what I guess what initially like spurred this this recent goal of like trying to finish uh, seventy point three in under five hours? Um, I that's a good question. I feel like it's very important to like I guess getting into endurance sports is is like a is like a cool thing anyway. I mean, it's not a lot of people like to do it. Yeah. It's it's a hard process anyway, but for me I love it so much, but I could never like there's no reason to keep going if I'm just not pushing myself and that that's my mentality. I don't like the idea of just like finishing all the time. Like, okay, I finished another yeah. one. I, th it became it became like not pointless, but yeah. just kind of it lost I didn't want to lose the thrill of racing. And so I just thought like, I'm going to start making bigger goals for myself. And that's when the full Ironman idea came into my mind. Okay. I'll do this full Ironman. And then I'll see how that goes. And 
And uh, yeah, and then I just, I, I kind of lucked into the 70.3 Worlds last year. It was in St. George. And during, in 2021, when things were still slow, I got I went to a race that not very many people showed up to. And so I rolled down, the slot rolled down to me. And I got to the 70.3 World Championships. And when I finished, I realized like everyone was so much faster than me. Like I need to, I know that I can run better. I know that I can bike better. I need to like make a real goal to like try to do this. And it, it kind of like encouraged me. Having a bad race encouraged me to like, okay, I need to make a better goal. I need to see if I can go faster. Yeah. I think most people in endurance sports are pretty numbers driven. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just. So a way to stay motivated is to have the certain numbers to try to beat or the PRs to set. How close to five were you prior to? I was, main? I was five eighteen, I believe five eighteen between five eighteen and five nineteen, yeah. and that was in, that was actually in New Hampshire in twenty twenty one. So, what was the limiting factor? What did you kind of determine to be like the slow leg of of that that you could kind of improve the most on? the the bike to the run so my biggest issue on the bike was that like i was biking slow because my bike was so so wrong for me but i was also running slow because i was in so much pain getting off the bike yeah. and i knew running being my best sport i knew that i i wasn't running to the best of my ability so st george came this year or last year in 2022 when i did the world championship and i just was not even though I was more comfortable running, I still, I'm like, I'm, I'm faster than this. I know I am. And so that's what I worked on the most, the, the bike to the run. Yeah. So work workouts. So yeah. You got your legs heavy before yeah. you ran. And so like my coach just started throwing in two, uh, one to two brick workouts a week, almost every week. Okay. So yeah, your transition was pretty quick from bike to run too. Yeah. Just like four minutes, right? Yeah. yeah. Which is not normal for me too. Right. I, that is another thing we worked on. I am notoriously like a combined 15 minutes in transition. And I, I don't know what I do in there. I just like, I get in there and just start messing around or something. So, so we, pra we actually practiced like getting in and out of my wetsuit and then getting onto the bike and then getting off the bike, getting the shoes off, throwing the new, the running shoes on and getting out for, killing time before i killed time yeah, yeah i was like I, when i was following the tracker i was looking for the first run split because i was curious how hard you pushed on the bike and whether that would compromise the run but right out of the gates you were running yeah so 90 minute yeah marathon pace, and, so. and it truly is it's the first time i i made one more adjustment to my bike this year uh there's a i was on cranks bike cranks that were still a little bit too long so i still kind of have a knee pain unless i got the cleats like exactly positioned right like i would slide off the side still just a hair and there's a guy from i believe it they're based in minnesota it's called he's apple man bicycles and he recently he used to just uh, fix carbon frames and in the last year he's added um short cranks to his wheelhouse and so now he, he manufactures cranks for all the way from like really short which is 135 millimeters all the way up to pretty big which is like i think it's 175 is his top end whereas like 165 to 175 is what most yeah. companies make so the bike fitting for any triathlete is pretty essential yeah yeah and obviously especially for yeah and and that was 
so yeah, he, that was the one thing like, I got off and I had zero pain for the first time. And I just, so all right, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Felt good. Um, did you feel any added pressure from kind of broadcasting it across social media? I know like ahead of our marathon earlier this spring, like I made the videos and made the posts, like, oh, we're going to run under three hours. And then that was like in the back of my mind, the whole race. I was like, I got all these people that are expecting me to run under three hours. And it turned something that's a very individual thing. I guess the positive was it turned something that's very individual, be it running into kind of something that's more communal. Like I had people that were expecting me to run a certain pace. I don't know if the added pressure was a positive or a negative, uh, but like, did you feel any, any added pressure from like the social media declarations? Um, early on I did. I, I, I said it and I kind of said it the very first time I said it, I kind of said it as a joke, yeah. just thinking like, I probably can't do that. I swim too slow. Yeah. I'm too slow in the transitions. I, I don't know if I can do that, but I said it. And then like my coach kind of reached out to me and he's like, Hey, is this just a goal you're really like looking at? He's like, I, he's like, we'd have to, he's like, if that's the case, he's like, let's not sign up for St. George this year. That's that course is a little too. He's like, I don't, there's a lot of people that wouldn't be able to go sub five in St. George. He's like, let's look at some, some other races. He's like, but I, he's, he's like in training, you do the stuff where I think you can do it. He's like, we just will work on translating it. And so after he told me that, I was like, okay, maybe this, yeah. this is a real goal. And then, and then uh, when I did Ironman Texas at the beginning of the year, I like, we liked the idea of doing a full Ironman first kind of to build. A, a bigger base so that immediately after Texas, I could get into 70.3 training and I wouldn't have to worry about super long, like five to six hour yeah. rides and just have that base. So, so in April I did Ironman Texas for that reason. And I jokingly made a goal or a, a challenge to one of the pros that was racing Texas and just said like, Hey, I'll make like, if I get off the bike before you finish the race and like, like I win, but if you, if you finish the race before I'm off the, and, and it, it's funny because that truly pushed me. Like I was on the bike thinking like, no, I got to get off this bike. I, and I saw him pass me on his, I made my first loop and he passed me on his coming ready to fit, start the run on my, on his second loop. And I was like, oh, I just saw him. I got to get going. So it encouraged me to get, get out there. And then after that, I, I told my coach, I'm like, it kind of like motivated me. And so then I started really pushing the sub five thing because that it motivated me. I knew that I had it out there like it's something I'd have to like, I'd have to stick to the training. I wouldn't be able to like yeah. mess around. Yeah. I mean, having that external purpose kind of gives more purpose to the training and kind of helps you grind through like harder sessions. Yeah, definitely. When there's that uh, like long-term vision. But I think that's something that endurance sports is like really good for is just understanding that you have to put in so much work before anything manifests yeah it's like a great I, it's a great parallel between like that and careers and life in general like you just have to kind of be com committed and like yeah. consistent with the running and results don't always manifest on the day that you need them to with races but you kind of keep stacking bricks until until you have that like breakthrough race like you had in Maine yeah and and that's just it's funny too because I've since since Texas I really struggled swimming. I, I've like, I lost a little bit of motivation to swim and I was, I was having a hard time. I have to, I have to go do most of my workouts in the morning before I, I work early. And then I sometimes 
I've been I, like I have 10 to 12 hour days at work. So if I come home and do a workout, I don't get to spend time with my wife. And so I do most of my stuff early and it is really hard to get to the swimming pool sometimes at three in the morning. And I was just struggling. And every week I was telling my coach, I'm like, I don't know why I'm not hitting the numbers. I'm struggling. And then all of a sudden I, like I started to feel like kind of like, like defeated in the swim. And then all of a sudden, like a month out of this race, I was hitting the numbers all of a sudden. I was just like every week I was like, okay, okay. I, yeah. I'm building, I'm building. And then, then I, I was talking to my wife on the way out here and I'm like, I'm all of a sudden like swimming good again. Like it's been like, and I, I just, I feel like it was just consistency. Like I forced myself to go to these swims I didn't want to do that. I was nervous to do. And the yeah, consist- that's one of the things when we were kind of briefly talking about like the wearable technologies and the recovery scores and stuff. Like if you're waking up at three to swim, yeah. if you were wearing something like a whoop, I don't think it would ever tell you that you were fully recovered and ready to go. So it's like, are you just going to keep skipping sessions until you're perfectly recovered? Like we're not professional endurance sport. Yeah. Like athletes, we have jobs. So it's like (laughs) just finding time to fit it in and hopefully it kind of manifests over time, but being consistent with it, even if the performance is compromised a little bit seems to be important. And I mean, and that was remembering that I'm not a professional is is also another thing that goes into like hitting these numbers where if my if I'll have like an easy ride for the day and I stress out and like I miss it in the morning, I just couldn't wake up and I'll text my wife or call her at, at lunch at work and say, I'm sorry, I have to do this workout. I'm so tired, but I have to do it. And so you won't see me tonight. And then remembering having my coach say like, hey, it's fine. You can miss it. Yeah. Like if you're tired, this is an easy, like we'll push it to another day or just like, skip it all together. Yeah. It's like, remember, you're not doing this professionally. You're how much lower do you think you can go, or is that is that the goal is to continue to try to get under the four forty seven? I'd love to. Yeah, I one of my goals that I've been kind of throwing out now is that I'd like to go sub five in St. George, since that's such a hard course. Um, going under four forty seven would would be great. I've made so many improvements on the bike and run in such a short time that I feel like they're still coming. Yeah. So do you want to go back to the full distance? Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's, I haven't figured out the nutrition and running on the full distance yet. I, both, both full distances that I've done, I've gotten off the bike feeling okay. And then 10 to 13 miles in the marathon, I just kind of crash and end up both of them in my first one halfway point. Exactly. I crashed and just walked the rest of the way. And then in Texas, it was at the 10 mile mark. I just kind of. Yeah. Didn't have anything left. Obviously, a completely different world, but the nutrition was one of the harder pieces for the marathon yeah. uh, that I struggled with as well. And I felt like that was essential to our more recent strong performance is just managing GI distress yeah. in the later half of the race, but also kind of stacking up enough carbs in the early half of the race that you don't run out of. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, even for the 70.3, I. I struggled. This is, I would say this is the first time I got it like a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Right. Things have to come together. Yeah. Where I ate everything I was supposed to. I like, I got all the carbs in that we planned to get in. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was like a perfect day, which is, I think is probably pretty rare. rare, Yeah. Um, so if, how do like, so I guess, how do I want to phrase this? So there's, 
there's a kind of like a narrative, I guess, in the disability space that like people with disabilities who accomplish things are like inspirational or motivational. Do you have any thoughts on like the inspiration narrative or kind of people like once you post on Facebook, did you get some stuff like that? Or do you have any thoughts on like people calling you inspirational? Um, yeah, so this is this is something that me and my wife have talked about a lot, because like listening to your other stuff, hearing everybody's opinions. Um, like, I, I like what you always say about how like people with disabilities should still be pushed yeah. like just like finishing something or doing everyday stuff is like like it's it's all like it's almost for me insulting that like to say Someone like praises you for praises this, me yeah. for do a six and a half hour half iron man yeah. where i'm like no i know i can do better like yeah. like the first one's great but like i don't want to be praised unless yeah. i unless i improve it was a thought as you were saying things like that that like you wanted to push yourself and that you weren't content with finishing in a specific time and then when you talk about like 3am swim workouts and stuff like that that alone is the part that's like motivational it's it, not the presence of and, the and exactly and that's that's what i would want people to see is that like and that, that like i did this hard work it wasn't just it wasn't just like a guy with dwarfism finished a, a race. It was like, I put in this hard work. I did it at weird times because of my actual job. And then, so, so if that, if they came to me and said like, you're inspirational because I have this body that's, that's like built better for it, but I don't have the motivation. He's like, so you've like, you've inspired me to do like get out there and maybe push my limits. Yeah. Like that. A, no, sorry. Oh, that would be, I would feel good about that. From a representation standpoint, were there other people with dwarfism that you kind of saw in this space or? So yeah, when, when I first started toying with the idea of a full Ironman, I think I'd already done three halves. And after the first two, I just wasn't really interested in the full. I liked the half, but I, I was like, I'd get pretty like destroyed after them. And I just like my body hurt. I, was, I don't think I can do a full i'm not too interested i'm a terrible swimmer i don't know if i could swim that long the the wetsuit hurts to have on that long which is another thing i had to have made for me but um so there's a guy i believe he's from around here john young yeah and he i started reading articles and he has a different form of dwarfism than i do he has the more i believe he has a chondroplasia which is the the most common um so he, he's a little shorter than I am, but our symptoms are similar in the sense that like long torsos, bigger heads and shorter limbs. And, and so I, I just kind of like, like figured out what he did. And I actually ended up when I went to figure out a, a better situation for my wetsuit, I emailed this company and the guy's like, oh, hey, I know John Young. I did my first Ironman was his first Ironman. And we, so he kind of knew John Young and then he, he knew the situation slightly better than anyone else did. And I think he had more sympathy. He just knew that like, yeah, I can understand why a wetsuit would be hard for you because like I saw the struggles that John had and stuff. And so, so it, in a way it wasn't like, I, I don't want to say that like, to offend John in any way by saying like, you're so inspirational that you finished this race. But it was, 
it was motivation in the sense that like, well, maybe I can do this because, yeah, because other people yeah. like me are doing yeah, it. And I would imagine you're probably doing the same for others. Um, are there like, do you speak to other athletes with dwarfism or is that not even really like it, I, I have, I know that there's, there's a bigger community in the running community. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are a little older than me. John's really the only one I've made somewhat kind con- I mean, he's, he's a pretty popular guy, so I don't know if he, <laughs> if he likes, if he ever sees my, like, I'll, I'll ask him questions yeah. and I'll like, I'll talk to him he'll like give me thumbs up on stuff sometimes, but, but he's a pretty popular guy. So, and then I've had another, some other people reach out to me asking me like, Hey, how did you do your bike? Or mm-hmm. like, Hey, do you have any suggestions? Like I'm trying to just make this road bike. Do you know any things I can do? So, so I've been trying to compile all my, all my information to help these other people that want to cycle yeah. or that want to like get into running. And yeah, I've made some, a, f- a few friends i would say from from triathlon especially people that are looking for yeah. for bikes and there's no real unique aspects of training right like if i was training uh, someone else for a half iron man versus you for a half iron man is there any like specific considerations that you think your coach makes i i don't think so i think that the swim coach that i originally went to just to learn how to swim understood that like my limbs were short and so like relying on just my stroke was going to be a huge problem Mm -hmm. like he really had to nail the fundamentals into me whereas like it's pretty famous in triathlon that they're terrible fundamentally swimming Mm -hmm. because they just like muscle their way through the swim and so so he really he he his big thing was always we're going to train you like a real swimmer because you're not gonna he's like your arm's just simply aren't long enough that like they don't go past your head far enough. Like you can't cheat that your stroke, you have to learn the fundamentals. So that was one thing. But other than that, now that I can sit comfortably on my bike, I, my coach hasn't really had to, to back off too much on, on stuff. I, I might wear down slightly faster than the average, Mm. average person. Just, I mean, my knees bow in. Yeah. And then I'm just, my limbs are so short that it's also interesting to think of how many more steps you have to take over the course of a 13 mile run. Yeah. I would like, I know, I think my stride length is between like three and a half to four feet, a little longer when I run with the wheelchair. Um, and I would wonder what yours is. And it might be like twice as many steps almost. I know it it probably is close. And, and it's, it's funny too, because I used to compare myself to a lot of the pro women that were shorter than me. I'm like, how do they run so fast or as tall as me or just yeah. slightly tall? And then like looking at them, you can tell like, oh yeah, yeah legs. her legs are longer yeah, yeah, than yeah. mine. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I would imagine that's uh, one of the, I guess that's a physical barrier that can't be changed. Yeah. You can, uh, you can obviously improve your fitness, I guess. It's like what, what do you think has been most important to improving your running? I think so kind of on my own, I, I started just implementing just like very basic strength. And I mean, I think strength's probably important, not even if you're a endurance athlete, just for any person, strength is important for like longevity and stuff like that. So I just do like a very basic strength program, like through the week. And that's, that's kind of helped 
I, I, that's probably some of why my knees feel better off the bike that mixed with the, like the better fit. Um, I just feel better all around from, from adding a little bit of strength in there and, and it's nothing crazy. It's, it's basically like some kettlebell routines. So, and how much, um, what was, what were the shoes that you wore and kind of what was the process of finding a shoe that felt good? So, yeah, I, I used to, I used to wear ultra shoes strictly because they're wide toe box. My feet, um, this is also a, I, I don't know if it's, if it's specific to, to my type of dwarfism, but I actually have heard other people with dwarfism have the same issues where our feet are like short and wide mm-hmm. and my hands are kind of the same way too. They're small and wide. So, I mean, when I would, when I would wear smaller shoes, my feet were way too wide, kind of squished in there. And then when, so I'd size up and then sizing up too much obviously causes problems. So I was always looking for just stuff with wide toe box. And then, um, I started getting to a point where I wanted to try these, the, the, the carbon shoes, the fast marathon ones, and they became more available. And so so I asked around, and um, a lot of people told me to try the Asics, the MetaSpeed Sky, because they're supposedly a little wider. So I was using those, but it was still same problems. Like at, at about mile 13, I'd I'd start getting blisters on my my feet, and anything longer than a half marathon, I used too many too many blisters, and so I would always go back to Ultra, and then some new. Hoka shoes came out recently that that people were saying that the upper stretches out a little more. So, and that's that seemed to work for me. I didn't I didn't didn't have any problems. That was a carbon blade shoe. That was a car- rocket. Yeah, the Rocket X two, the, their newest version of their. And so that and it ran. I felt like it was the same as as the Asics that I liked, but it accommodated my foot slightly better. So the goal. For this past weekend was to go under five uh, in Maine, uh, Ironman Maine, 70.3. Um, you want to kind of take us through the, the three legs of the race? Yeah, sure. I, I'll back up a little, too. I, I I planned to do at least give myself three tries. I didn't know. I kind of wanted to use this first one as like maybe like to set some benchmarks and like, okay, did this bad, did this good, try to put, try to fix the bad and mix it with the good. And so coming into into Maine, I realized like, okay, this is a river swim. My swimming's my weakness. Maybe I can figure something out for this one. And then as the race got closer and I, I was getting more familiar with the course, I realized like, oh, the bike course is actually kind of hard. I didn't realize. And so I just, I thought like, okay, like I said, using this as benchmarks, but still try to go for it. So anyway, race more right, leading up to the race, I was I was pretty quiet to my wife all week. I just like I, I felt like okay, I don't know if this is going to be the one. I don't know how much how excited I could be if like I get so close on this one and then just kind of or if I have a terrible race and it's like way off. Like it's that protective mechanism. Yeah, like we innately do like leading up to our marathon too. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, my hamstring hurts. This maybe I'll just do it later. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm like. Yeah, and, and I was just like, this bike is way harder than I, I yeah. thought it would be. And then I talked, like, my wife is really good at calming me down, just letting me go over stuff. And then 
I talked to my coach and he goes, he goes, if you still push the power we've been working on on the bike, you, you should be fine. He's like, it's, he goes, it's a little harder than what you've done. He's like, but then the run is much easier than what you've been running on. So kind of evens out. So we just said, stick to our, our plan. And I think that we'll, we'll, we'll see some good results. And so just, I got lined up on race morning to swim. I got my bike set up and all my transition gear set up and then walked down to the swim and ate my nutrition just like I was supposed to like one gel 15 minutes out before I got in the water and then I got in the water and I just I felt great I I mean like I said it was a river swim so it was quicker than I would have planned but I've never felt so strong swimming either like in a normal I still think I would have PR'd the swim by a lot just at the effort I was doing I was confident to do the effort I was swimming fast and I was, I felt really good. I got out of the swim and I mean, a lot of times you feel dizzy getting out and I, I felt good. It was like a half mile run to transition up a hill. And I took that really fast and felt good when I got out and I cut my famous nine minute T1 time down to six minutes. So that was a huge improvement. That's I've been working on that. Yeah. And then you had told me about 30 minutes on the swim and you finished it. And and I think I finished it in 19 minutes, right around between 19 and 20 minutes. And then I transitioned it in six. And I thought that what would happen is I'd finish between 28 to 30 minutes. And I'd, I'd try to be out of transition by 35 minutes. So I had put, I gave myself almost 10 minutes of what I planned yeah. just by getting through that swim. And then transitioned good, and I, I got on the bike. The game plan was to get through transition as fast as I could and then kind of regain my composure first, like, five to ten minutes on the bike. And I got on the bike, and in, like, two minutes I was comfortable. My breathing had slowed down. I was ready to ready to start pushing it. So I worked, I worked up to the power that we had planned and just held on to that for – as long as I could, and you had a power meter on the bike that you were working on. Yeah, so our, our goal was to was to hit um, was to have my average power be around two hundred watts, and then my normalized power to be around two hundred and ten. And it ended up being like I was like one ninety eight average, and then two sixteen normalized. So, and don't ask me what normalized me. My coach understands it better than I do. <laughs> I just okay, that's what that's what I I, I have no idea what it means. <laughs> It's averaging of like, like when you do like huge spurts yeah. compared to what your actual average is, and it's something like that. So, anyway, yeah, my 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 average power was almost right on, and it, in turn, I got off the bike. My goal was two hours and forty minutes, and I think I got off in two hours and forty three minutes. So I was because of the faster swim, I still had plenty of time to change and then use the bathroom in the transition which is something i i usually try to skip because i try to get out going but i felt like okay i, I have time i mm -hmm. gave myself time on that swim so and then the plan to run like the plan was to run between 650 to seven minute miles and hold on as long as i could and then we had planned for a like a huge uphill from mile nine to ten and a half. 
And so the the plan was to run the try to feel the same effort on that uphill. And then although my time would slow down, my effort would be the same. And then after I got around the corner to start going back down to the finish line, the plan was to stop looking at my watch and just go as hard as I could to the finish line. And that's exactly what I did. So I think going up that hill, I slowed from like the 6.50 to 7-minute pace to about 7.20-ish, 7.30. And then coming back down the hill, I got back down closer to the 7-minute, 7.10 pace and and finished pretty strong with a 1.34 run. So all things considered, uh, pretty perfectly executed by what you were hoping for. Yeah, and it, it was just like... All day long, I did, like on the bike. I kept saying like I'm gonna push a little harder right now, and I it, I just kept hearing my coach's voice saying like, "Don't get excited on the hills. Don't get excited if you're uh, faster than where you want to be." Like, yeah. it's like just stick to the plan. It will work. What race are you gonna do next? So, as of now, the only one I have on the calendar is um, seventy point three Indian Wells in like next to Palm Springs in California. I'm considering another 70.3, maybe in Waco, Texas, or uh, Muncie, Indiana. Those are kind of around the times I'd want to do another one in September and October. But I'm also considering just like a standalone marathon, try to figure out, see if I can figure out what my problem is with the nutrition, with the nutrition on the marathon. So, Is travel a, like a, like for me, the, the idea of traveling to all over for these races would be stressful. And I feel like that would be something that would prevent me from, <laughs> from doing that. It's, it's, it's very stressful. The key that I found is to do direct flights because your luggage gets there. So, so if it's like an extra or, or like I have to fly somewhere a little closer than drive, like I did for this, this trip, I flew to Boston and then drove, um, the, like the bike, getting the bike, packed up and then making sure like that it works that's the stressful part but then the second i open the case and see that like okay the frame's not broken the wheels are good like all i have to do is put this bag together and i'm i'm fine then the stress goes away indian wells is considered a pretty flat course right yeah 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 it's it it can be the water can get really cold but that doesn't scare me like it used to and then the bike ride is pretty pan flat So would you like to continue to push that number down? I'd love to. I I think for Indian Wells, my my real goal is to have a massive PR on the bike. Just just yeah, I feel just kind of try to see what it feels like to just go and push myself as hard as I can on the bike and see what kind of run legs I have after. Yeah, yeah, and just lay down the power and see how it goes. It's awesome. Well, Zach, I think that was that was good insight into your experience racing and your experience getting into triathlon as a whole. Um, one question that we've wrapped up most of these with is um, kind of the idea of what do you think uh, needs to be done to make, uh, well, a lot of our listeners are in the fitness space, hopefully. Um, but what do you think needs to be done to make both fitness and maybe sport more inclusive and accessible? Um, one thing that, that I, that I've actually found recently that that's been good is that a lot of apparel companies have been able to find ways to like either have their stuff tailored or like, for instance, my wetsuit was tailored to fit me by, by DeBoer wetsuits. And it didn't, I mean, I, they, they did a lot of work, but it was like, they were willing to do it. 
and they didn't like question me at all. They, they knew that it had to be done. And then the people that make my kit, same thing. They just, they seem a little more willing to be, and I, to tailor stuff or like make stuff more appropriate for me. Um, and I've reached out to other apparel companies as well and just kind of asked like, Hey, if I were to go this direction, like, what can you do as far as like, like the tailoring, like maybe hemming the, the legs up a little bit so they don't go past my knees or, and everyone seems to, everyone in the apparel part seems to be like on board with, I think we can do that. Let's try. He's like, let us know what you want and like we'll we'll see what we can do. So so that one's that one's actually kind of been figured out in the last couple of years. As far as equipment, um I would love to see the bike industry understand that like like I mean I told you earlier there are two sizes of common cranks, which 165 or 175, which is crazy because even people that are a foot taller than me could benefit from using something a little smaller or something a little bigger. So just having two sizes, it's not just accessible for me. It's accessible for a huge variety of people that, I mean, seems like there's money to be made at least at the very least. Yeah. That's what we, we usually say. Like when you're accounting for people with different abilities or with a disability, it benefits everyone universally, but you, you don't kind of know that until yeah. you do. And then there's, there's still things that because it's not available, like there's still things I could get on my bike, but because it's not more readily available, it either cause for like a new like design for a bike or, or just like demand for stuff that they just simply don't make anymore. They don't make the smaller wheels as I have to use the standard wheels on my bike for it to fit the frame because the more smaller wheels they don't, they basically make like one type of tire that's hard to find anyways. And it's, it's not like performance wise, it's not that great. And, and so like make, trying to make like the bikes or at least coming up with a way to like customize a bike to fit a different body would be helpful. I, I mean, I think you'd get a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like businesses that weren't created specifically for people with disabilities, prioritizing yeah. the ability to adapt things yeah. for people who are different. Yeah. 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 I think that's a, that's an important theme where it's not just like organizations that are specifically catered for people with disabilities, but it has to be all the ones that maybe weren't designed initially. Exactly. And, and that's how, my my bikes it's from Koo Cycles in Netherlands, like I said, and they um I had the the um, opportunity to host the CEO when Ironman came to the World Championships in in St George, and I asked him a whole bunch of questions, and it kind of they didn't do it on purpose, make the like a bike that would fit me, but but after talking to him, like they really had like we need to fit a wider range of people that compared to most brands that have like six to eight sizes of bikes, they have 64 different options of sizes, which would fit yeah. like way more people in the world. And and I, that, I might even have that number wrong. It might even be higher that just like 64 different options of is incredible. Yeah. So, well, you raised Sunday, it's now Wednesday and you've, 
took time to come out to our facility that is not very close to Boston. It's definitely <laughs> not close to Augusta, Maine, but um, I appreciate the time today. It was awesome to finally get to meet you in person. I know we've been talking for the last year and a half, couple of years. Um, so it's been cool to have you out here and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, it was one of the priorities of the trip. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about AdaptX, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptx.org. Until next Monday.